Hello and welcome to another wonderful, spectacular, fully curricular, because this is basically schoolwork for me, episode <laughs> of Normandy FM. I am Eric Van Allen, one of your co-hosts, joined as always by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing this week? Fucking stoked. You, you don't sound that was that was a low energy stoked. Give me a high I'm fucking energy stoked, stoked to finally talk about this particular part of the Mass Effect universe. Yes. Because Bioware yes. denied it to me when they canceled <laughs> DLC for Mass Effect Andromeda. I, you know, in retrospect, we should probably should touch on this like way, way back when we were doing Mass Effect, because this is important shit. This is like extremely good and important shit. I was I was gonna let you have your moment, because I was gonna say, like, Ken, I wanna say back when we were doing the Andromeda season, I, I poo-pooed the idea of reading a book in the middle of playing a game I didn't want to play. <laughs> and honestly, I'll take the book any day now because uh surprise surprise, this is not only like one of my favorite the thing we were talking about by the way is Mass Effect Andromeda Annihilation, a separate book that uh tells the story of the Corian arc uh that was headed for the Andromeda uh, galaxy, obviously ran into some issues along the way, which is why it did not show up at the beginning of Mass Effect Andromeda, the video game. Uh, this book dives into those issues, uh, what happened there, as well as the idiosyncrasies of the various races aboard the Corian arc. But uh, this is maybe one of the more interesting bits of Mass Effect lore we've had on the mm-hmm. show like even counting the mass effect video games yeah. um it's really it's just a really impressive book that dives into so much of this universe and these the way these different species interact with each other especially like and i cannot stress this enough independently of humans mm-hmm. um it is a huge boon to this book that there is not a single human character on the ship. Um, we, and, and even, like, there's not really a single protagonist. It's kind of multiple protagonists that we are following throughout the book. And all of that works so incredibly well. Um, I, I myself, I read the book, so I have perfect knowledge of everything. Ken, <laughs> listen to the audiobook. Uh you know, it's if you want to do that sort of thing. <laughs> well, okay, like for for context for everyone, I think I've I mentioned this before, but like the audiobook is read by Tom Taylorson, who does the voice of male writer in the game, and he also does like in this does like the voices of all the different uh, Mass Effect races that, as we know from the games, they all speak very differently. Like with, like you know, you want to hear a man do like a, a full blown like low bass Elcor, uh, voice to this dialogue, give it that sense of life, that sense of, like, really making every character feel different in the way that they speak. It's good shit. Mm. Worth see, it. See, I just let the voices in my head do that. <laughs> um, I did I did actually, like, there is one human character that we have to start this story out with. Um, and this is, to preface all of this, before we go in, I will say this is the one where I know that there are people who listen along, who maybe have not played the games yet, who maybe um, played them a long time ago or whatever, this is an episode where I would highly recommend you go and engage with the fiction <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or be familiar with it before you listen to it. Because 
there is a lot in this novel um not a lot happens like ken and i were talking about this like bullet point wise not a lot happens during the book but there is there are just a lot of really interesting details that we may not be able to completely get into because we will be diving into other things there's a lot to dissect in this novel and so if you want like the the minute details that we would normally give in in our retrospectives um i highly recommend you just read the book i mean i read it in like three nights it's like 300 pages it's not that long and ken i think you said the audiobook is something like eight to twelve hours or something like that yeah i think it was about eight and a half hours for yeah off, yeah. Off my head, yeah yeah so like it's it's low uh commitment you don't need to like i'm telling you this is not going to feel like a school book the way i thought it was going to <laughs> uh but we really do have good like i like i want to like yes, lead with yes. that too. like genuinely like i know there are a lot of people that don't like andromeda for all the various reasons but i think like as a piece of mass effect fiction this is like a perspective we don't get on this world a lot because we are usually mm-hmm. viewing it from the perspective of shepherd or writer or even the majority of the books like those books are like all the trilogy ones were about Anderson, Kaylee Sanders, Kylang, Cerberus, like very human centric. And mm-hmm. because this is like the cultural melting pot of the Milky Way galaxy that's heading towards the Andromeda galaxy, not only is it in terms like you learn new things about the uh, different species, but you learn di- different things about how they interact with each other in a way that is completely divorced from humans. And like, you know, there are. You know, even, like, without having to get into the specifics, like, their characters, like, Corians and Vol- and Volus, how do they, they both exist in, like, environmental suits in different ways? And, like, what is their relationship to the ways in which those cultures kind of, like, take different forms, despite the fact that they seemingly have that similarity? And, you know, like, just the perspective, I think, is very valuable and something that, like, is not necessarily outwardly expressed in the text of the games, but, like, is usually relegated to, like, codex entries or, uh, you know, ambient dialogue that we pass by as Shepard or writer. So, it's just really good. Like, I can't understate that. Like, I feel like it is one of... It is it's certainly, in my opinion, the best of, like, the uh, extra media of the Mass Effect universe in terms of, like, how valuable I think the story is to the lore at large. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's... I, I think the one thing, like, that they're really kind of hammered it home for me at the beginning here that it was going to be something that was just going to expand my worldview of mass effect in ways that that was really interesting was um the name of the corian arc because Mm. uh at at one point during mass effect 3 um i think it's mass effect 3 or is it mass effect it's the third one i think where where tally tells you what keyless the lie means which Mm. is uh by by the home world i hope to see someday um the name of the corian arc itself you find out in in this book is Kila Sia, which is uh, by the homeworld I hope to find one day, mm. and that was just such like a little. Um, <laughs> I, I had an English teacher in uh, in in high school who taught us AP English, and uh, she used to always tell us whenever we read like a really dense book or something like that to just find the little nuggets of of good stuff like mm-hmm. that because it helps you pull out kind of the broader themes of right. what the novel is trying to do and i think in this case like very early on it, it gives you this idea of these are these are characters who are not going to be 
wholly representative of their species. Like they they establish very early on that if you are like for example, if you are a Quarian who wants to leave the migrant fleet and Rannoch behind to go mm-hmm. to Andromeda, you are probably not a uh, garden variety Quarian. Let's say right. <laughs> you you do not adhere to the norms of that culture. You are already an outlier. Uh, the same right. goes for like Batarians, for for Volus. Um, yeah. But they also still carry their own like kind of baggage with them right. and i think yeah seeing that in the name of the ship was really impressive just early on to say like hey there is some of that like naming the the ship something that feels so familiar yet that one little difference of a word says so much um right and that was kind of like the thesis of the andromeda game as well like we mm-hmm. talked about back in that season like characters like pv and vetra who like very greatly deviate from the norms of the cultures that they come from because like we talked about before, like, Mass Effect generally is, like, a very hegemonic universe in terms of, like, what we believe to be, like, the standard beliefs of different species mm-hmm. and cultures and, you know, characters that kind of deviate from that uh, might be inclined to go to somewhere like Andromeda where they are free of those expectations. Like, you're literally leaving behind a culture and a, you know, a world that you've known on the prospect that you might find something better and something different that maybe suits you better than what you've been told your entire life is something that you should aspire to be. And, like, I think, you know, even, I can't remember which character it was that said it, like, not only did they kind of talk about how, like, you're moving away from that culture by leaving Rannoch behind, like, are you even quote-unquote Quarian anymore? It's like a a, something they generally, at what point is, like, the entire basis of who I am or who I've been told that I should be tied to the Milky Way in such a way that, like, maybe there's not a name for what I am anymore, or in something that I can, something that I can find for myself in Andromeda, which is mm-hmm. what I think, what that game's strong suits when it's not trying to push the colonialist narrative away with all of mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, at the beginning here, we get our one human character, Oliver Barthes, who uh, is an engineer who has been uh, contracted by an anonymous patron to install a lullaby into the Kila Siaz system uh, that will play as everyone is cryogenically sleeping through 600 years to the Andromeda Galaxy. Uh, he also mentions in his internal monologue in this section one of his friends uh, got paid a similar large amount of money to install some canisters in the drill pods that would kind of let loose this perfume like smell when they woke up that was supposed to remind them of home and as he's kind of just humming along all happy and <laughs> and uh cheery that he's got all this cash and stuff uh he dies he gets shot <laughs> and that's the end of the one human character in this story <laughs> uh good job oliver <laughs> um we we jump way ahead in time to uh as as it says here in the lovely mass effects andromeda wiki that we are looking at thank you so much y'all uh transit day 207,113 uh where they are currently 110,000 light years away from andromeda uh several members of sleepwalker team blue 7 are revived by the internal uh vi of the ship k uh that tells them something's up and so the sleepwalker teams are kind of these units that are intended to wake up during periods throughout the 
voyage to Andromeda just to do the human maintenance that's required on the ship. You know, make sure everything's looking okay, make sure everything's running right, do diagnostic checks, all that sort of thing. You know, be up for like 24 hours doing all that, go back to sleep, and then, you know, another 50,000 days later or whatever it is, here comes the next sleepwalker team just to do the routine maintenance. Just an interesting thing, like, kind of like this and the other one of the other Andromeda books, Nexus Uprising, was like something like, we didn't really get to see like kind of the nuts and bolts of how like the journey to Andromeda worked mm-hmm. and like what the logistics of it were because by the time Ryder wakes up in Andromeda, like they have a very specific job to do that all of this has already been done. So you know, it's just like kind of an interesting point in this story of the migration to Andromeda that we didn't really get any hints of within the game. God, this this sucks because this book is so good that it almost makes me want to play Andromeda again, and I can't do that. So, damn it, book. <laughs> I've been, I've been going back so I can like when I am in, in my Mass Effect mood, so I don't go back and play the trilogy before the Legendary Edition because like that is redundant. That is two months away. Right, I can right. wait, but there's no plan for an Andromeda remaster anytime soon. So, I, mm, nope, nope. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Keep moving. Um. I, the one other thing I think we should like establish early on is that the Corian arc is different from the other arcs mm. uh, in that many, many species live on this arc. Uh, you know, the human arc was the human arc and the Turian arc was the Turian arc. Uh, but the the entire Corian uh, arc is actually housing Corian, uh, Drell... Hanar, Elcor, Elcor, uh, Volus, and Batarian. Mm. Uh, so six in total. I think that's that's right. All all six of them. Um, and and also by happenstance, or you know, by you know the way the author wrote this book, um, every member of Sleepwalker Team Blue Seven is a member of those individual races. Mm-hmm. Um, but that leads to a situation where you kind of have this central point that they call the radial that is the individual like the place where all those different environments converge but that each of those species is living in their own kind of environment uh portioned off area of the station that can better acclimate to the way that they are used to operating um i think they say that like for some, that doesn't really mean anything. Like, I, I believe the Quarians are in Citadel's standard environment and stuff mm. like that because they already live in their suits anyways. So why yeah. bother doing anything to the internals? Um, but I know the Volus specifically have different air in their section because the Volus don't actually breathe oxygen. Oxygen is toxic to the Volus. So um, that that's also... It's a little, little interesting bit here because that will become more important as the story goes on. But it also means we get to deal with a lot of different, different folks here. Mm-hmm. Um, the three people that wake up from Sleepwalker Team Blue 7 are um, Anax Therian, who is a Drell... <sighs> she's, officially she's an analyst, but basically a detective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, kind of former information broker assistant worked for the shadow shadow broker at one point um or at least if we are to believe her story um 
which is kind of one of her main things is that she is often an unreliable not an unreliable narrator but she does not always tell the truth to the people she's talking to um she's very much like a chameleon uh who alters the way she speaks and the way she acts in order to blend in best around her and get information from people uh she is an awesome character probably one of my Mm -hmm. favorites in, in this book um i say that but actually every character on sleepwalker team blue seven is my favorite so um yeah so anax is one of them uh senna uh senna near vas kilisia i'm gonna stumble over some names i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) um senna is a quarian uh who is the leader of that team uh and then i believe yorick is the third one who wakes up initially um who is the doctor of the team uh Mm. he's an elcor uh he is an elcor who's obsessed with elcor hamlet uh which is incredible uh yorick firmly yorick is not his actual name he he has a different name but he changed his name to yorick which a hanar later reflects that like that's probably your soul name then like that's what you feel you are inside like that is the the song of you inside is yorick and he names a bunch of stuff after hamlet stuff and quotes it all the time and actually believes that uh humans appropriated hamlet and that it was truly Mm -hmm. written by an elcor and and i think he later makes that claim of like multiple shakespeare works because he later reveals that he has written elcor Macbeth to perform in andromeda (laughs) um yorick is the best i love yorick (laughs) um it's great great three characters here already to start out um and they realize that there is a dead drell in the cryo deck uh, is soval raxios who's actually a friend of anax and a member of the former sleepwalker team that came like before them i think they're sleepwalker team yellow or something like that um but they discover that more drell are dying uh they basically term it like frostbite where um they're dying inside the pods and the moisture coagulating with the blood or something like that creates some sort of reaction on the pods and that is how they're recognizing this but the scarier thing is that k is only just now realizing that these drell and later hanar hanar Mm -hmm. start to die um are 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 dying and they run into technical malfunctions where k is not registering bodies as dead it's detecting them as alive and completely healthy so senna uh is obviously there's there's some shit going down there might be pathogen on board uh we got to wake up the rest of the sleepwalker team and that's when we get introduced to hanar uh chemical specialist uh i don't even know how to begin with this one how did how did they say in the audiobook the hanar character oh fuck it's like isis or something isis I think it's Yassis, maybe? Yassis? It, it's Y-S-S-E-S. I have no phonetic basis for how to yes. pronounce this name. Huh. It's, it's suddenly not coming in. Granted, of these characters, they this is probably the one that has, like, the least page time? Yeah, I would say... Uh, I also have to retract a former statement uh, saying that I like every member of Sleepwalker, Team Blue 7, uh, every every member not counting this jellyfish asshole. But we'll get to that <laughs> later. Um, 
but uh yeah um they are compared to the rest they're the only uh, no there are other characters so three three characters act as like the main viewpoint for the story which is either anax senna or uh yorick they're like the the main characters that we kind of get to like peer into their minds almost um that like Mm. third person omniscient uh viewpoint and but all the other characters um including uh irits irit non who is a volus like suit specialist basically he's really good at making Mm. suits um for for both volus and for other um races and uh borbala Ferranc, who is a batarian whose specialism on the sleepwalker team is kind of ambiguous but she is like a former crime lord like a, basically a crime queen um it's excellent big fan of her, big fan of her. like yeah again and talk about a character who i did not think would grow on me and then by the end of the novel, I was rooting for every win she got. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, those those two also act as like heavy supporting characters that are kind of always with the other characters, as well as a another one that we'll we will run into in a little bit here. But um, yeah, I'd say EC's. I'm just gonna say like EC's. That's the that's what we're rolling with. Probably uh, the least involved let's say definitely at least page time um so obviously things are going bad um the the system is not registering like it should uh there's a pathogen that that seems to be running around it has already jumped across one species and obviously if a virus is able to move between species that begins to not only affect the drill but like all of like everyone and if the computers cannot start to manage that um you're into another big issue and so uh senna divides the the group up into three teams first of all i also want to mention they do discuss bringing the pathfinder back and using the sams so they actually talk a little bit about sams in this not a lot but enough um the idea that maybe the ai can help solve all this uh, and I thought that was really interesting that here in this situation, they're like, whatever we do, we can't bring them back because if we are like truly compromised, we have to isolate our pathfinders as best as possible. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just found that super interesting. Like in, in Andromeda, they kind of talk about that a little, but you still have situations where pathfinders are kind of putting themselves at risk a lot and, and doing very dangerous things sometimes stupid things (laughs) and um to have the situation where you really see like this is an entire group who is potentially like going to die to a cataclysm in space willing to risk it all to save these pathfinders more than anybody else like that was i thought that was interesting yeah because i mean like if if the pathfinder is gone then they are basically fucked like regardless if they get to andromeda or not because like that is a certain specialist that they need to ensure that like there are homes for people to actually mm-hmm. land on. Which there there was um so it didn't occur to me necessarily when we were playing the game that there was like the the uh, this arc would be the one that has like multiple pathfinders because like there are there's yep. Yep. a mention of one for each species, but then there's like the ways in which they uh, differentiate the Corian one specifically. Like the Corian pathfinder doesn't have the salmon plant because that goes against like mm-hmm. they you know they're bringing. 
that particular prejudice against AI. Also, with some species do not phase. have a Pathfinder. Some of these species do not have a Pathfinder. Uh, I think yeah. it's the Batarian and Volus, I think, do not have Pathfinders. That sounds about right. Um, um, Hanar, Pathfinder, yeah. like, can, can I do that like i don't know i don't know how mobile hanar are like <laughs> come on what about blasto <laughs> uh, yeah like that i the, the thing that i want to stress that we can't get into like the details because we'd just be doing an audiobook at this point but one of the things that this does really well is like this is definitely a storyline that is inspired by a lot of very popular you know science fiction like alien and stuff like that where you're kind of on board a ship and everything is gradually breaking and things are going wrong and you are trying to figure out you know it's it's a constant mystery of like how are we going to survive this how are we going to get through this also who is doing this like what's right. the reason behind it all that yeah it also um, has, like it does also have like traces of like a whodunit like yes yeah a detective story which is where annex comes in as the sort of uh you know the, the detective amongst a, a group of possible suspects yeah, like, between the three protagonists, you've got, like, Anax is this Hercule Poirot slash, like, hard-boiled detective, like, a meeting of the two, uh, who's... And, and this is where they split them up into the teams. Anax and Borbala are on team. Who, basically trying to figure out who is doing all this. Um, Senna and Irit are on team How, so how is this all happening? you know fix the the hardware and the software that is breaking on the ship that's a little bit more like you know your apollo 13s or stuff like that or like the martian where it's like we're in space and one small mess up could kill us all <laughs> so how do we get these systems back online and working uh with the limited things we have and then yorick and ecs are the team what trying to figure out uh what the pathogen is that they're dealing with and how to stop it and that's a little bit more like a you know typical like viral thriller where it's like oh there's this thing that's ravaging us and we have to find the cure and all that um and it 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 fans out pretty well into a really compelling (laughs) book i cannot stress that enough Mm. um but I, i wanted to add on top of it with the pathfinder stuff and all that there's also just all these tensions going on that are kind of carried across from the way that all these characters viewed each other in the milky way and that's another one of the running themes is like how do we how do we not bring or what prejudices do we still bring over from the milky way is like you know the tarians are generally considered the lowest class on (laughs) on the arc like uh because everyone sees them as like gun runners and drug dealers who are all just killing each other but you gradually learn that there's a lot of honor among the batarians and there is a lot of like there are reasons why they have been forced into this lifestyle and they want to find something new in andromeda um you have a volus who is a radical (laughs) like (laughs) just the idea of a radical volus who wants to abolish currency is so good (laughs) And, um, you know, an Elkhor doctor who kind of never wanted to be a doctor and just wanted to be a playwright, but is yeah. just looking for a new galaxy to find a new start and, and get away from all that. Like, mm. there's so much going on in this novel that is also wonderful. Mm. Uh, where should we start with the who, what, and how? Um, 
Yorick and Yeezys need to figure out what the virus is, but obviously with the ship's VIK not really getting anything done, they don't really have the tools they need in the med bay to start to do the analysis they need to do. Um, and Nax, being Drell, has a uh, flashback to a Corian family that stored a microscope in a crate uh, as they were getting ready to take off and depart. Uh, so Borbala and Anax go down to the cargo hold to get that crate, as well as acquire some weapons and some other things that they're going to need, because, uh, you know, there's probably somebody on this ship. Um, I enjoyed them, like, speculating whether it was somebody who was already dead, or, like, whether there was an Asari or a Krogan who could live mm-hmm. for all those many, many years, just, like, patiently waiting on the ship. Um, that was a an, an fun little <laughs> aside. Yeah. Um, but I also want to mention that, like, one of my favorite parts of this book, hands down, was this section where they're in the cargo hold, and York is recalling how to do tests to see, like, uh, different like pathogens and stuff like that and whether it is a virus or it's a bacterial infection or something like that uh by using different chemicals and seeing how the blood interacts Mm -hmm. with the chemicals uh that's just a really cool science lesson that's like that was just cool like that's just good writing right there it's like that's just a neat little thing of like how can we figure all this out to make it work um i really enjoyed that part all while the parts having, with the York, right? Yeah, we'll also having to kind of, like, use what they had to try, try and, like, diagnose these things. Like, I think the, like, he's like, what does, Anna, like, Anna do have something that glows in the dark? And, because, mm-hmm. like, she's looking through, I think, like, a a box of shit that, like, like the Corian family had. Like, what, what did uh-huh. they use to try and make color there, dye? There was, so I remember one of them was a scope on a gun uh, that they broke open to get the dye out of it. Uh, another one was the the fish they needed like they need like an oil that a certain fish secretes or whatever um they needed yeah just various chemical compounds that they could find through stuff like corian makeup and all that like there was just all these lists of things and then them finding items that would have those component parts in them and stuff mm. and Ugh, it's and also it's like cool. using an empty Corian suit to like filter shit through. And oh my god, Horatio! No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, they they also find uh, a suit that was intended for the Corian child uh, to grow into into the new system, uh, which again is is a nice little piece of world building because you're like, oh mm-hmm. right, you know, Corian children grow up and they would need to bring an extra suit because the kid might grow faster than they have like time and resources to get a new suit for the quarry in there that's that's cool little bit of world building but they end up breaking that suit apart and turning it into like a small diagnostic station like because they can just feed different versions of the virus into it and then see what sort of chemicals it automatically disperses and what sort of readout they get on the heads-up display inside which again another thing they go into is like the heads-up display on the inside of volus and corian suits which is fascinating yeah (laughs) and um yeah they turn it into a a diagnostic station called horatio because yorick named it and oh this book is very good (laughs) just like all these little different ways of like kind of like taking the all these disparate elements of the universe and putting them together to make a story that you like 
this le- this level of like how this this universe fits together in ways mm-hmm. that like we don't really ever see. Like it's man, like I whatever this next Mass Effect game is, like you know, there's probably a chance like half the game is not gonna necessarily follow Ryder. And like I would like to see like you know all these aliens care like all these aliens working together in different ways that really putting you know a microscope on the ways in which these cultures deviate from each other in very specific ways, but also like bring different experiences and tools together to make something like a fucking quarry and suit be like a diagnostic station that they use like this. It's really fascinating shit. Yeah, like the idea of having a game like Andromeda or even like Mass Effect, but you are playing a Corian character and so you have all these heads up displays going all the time. You could upgrade your suit over the course of the game and suddenly suit breaches are something that you have to deal with and um the idea of dealing with different parts of your suit going online or offline and using scrap parts and like there are just so many ways of seeing this galaxy like that's that's kind of the way i think about it is there's um there's this video essay about pathologic uh that uh youtuber h bomber guy did that where he, he talks about uh, you play through the game as one character and you don't really care about the foliage around you. But then you play as the Harrispex character who is an apothecary and can use that foliage and use those mm. plants to make different balms and salves and stuff like that. Suddenly you are seeing the world differently. Like the same paths you've already walked are now different because they mean different things to you. And that's like, I can't stress enough how much seeing the universe is a different character is so refreshing and also just the way that this book um dives into how different species kind of interact with each other and also like how their culture turns into different things mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm pulling the name up so that way we can we we can credit uh catherine m valente mm-hmm. um i hope i'm getting that right is, yep. is the writer of this book and um it's like again you want to talk about just little bits of world building when they bring the microscope back to the the med bay for yorick and uh yeezy's yeezy's whatever uh, to use uh it's a krogan microscope it's it's a microscope that's designed to try and convince krogan children that they should get into science but it has like built-in tutorials that are like this krogan drill sergeant yelling at you like put that slide in the microscope slot soldier charge down that bacteria (laughs) zero in on the enemy (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and and something that's like really worth like noting here is that Catherine Valente is not a Bioware employee, which a lot of the external media of the the mm-hmm. series has been handled by Bioware. But she has like such a really refreshing and wonderful understanding of this universe in a way that she can write a story like this, and it feel like you know you're seeing the world through a whole different light that even Bioware hasn't shown us. Mm-hmm. And it gives you this like fresh. Actually, after I finished the book i went back and read like the foreword and stuff like that because i wanted to know more about the author and and she mentions like having a particular affinity for thane and Mm -hmm. being able to write drell characters that were really interesting i think that really does come across in this novel is we get like some really well realized characters from all these different species who have these different like conflicting thoughts and Mm -hmm. Oh, it's it's quite good. <laughs> I cannot stress this enough. If you like Mass Effect, you need to read this book. Um, 
anyways, um, they they get the equipment back to Yorick and uh, Isis, who kind of start trying to figure out what this pathogen is. Uh, but Yorick has uh, basically initiated quarantine, so mm-hmm. he he basically says like, "Look, we've been like in a room with this path- pathogen long enough that." we don't want to risk infection uh he suggests the idea that anax uh gets a suit made mm-hmm. uh so that way she cannot have to worry so much about being around uh people who might have been exposed as well um we should mention that before they bring that stuff back um anax and borbala are watching the security feeds and they basically speed up through each sleepwalker team so that way they can see like who was moving about during the sleepwalker sessions because that's their first instinct is like oh it was probably a sleepwalker they're the people that are allowed to kind of move around while everybody else is still in cryosleep and they just barely notice a shadow moving in the corner of like one shot and Anax and Borbala then start to go back through years and years and years of stuff and find little shadows. So basically they discover that whoever it is is somebody that understands where all the layout, like, like where mm-hmm. all the placements of the various cameras on the ship are. So it's probably not somebody that like stowed away or someone like right. that. It would have to be somebody familiar with the layout of the ship uh, in order to avoid being spotted all those times that they were awake and moving around. Anyways, <laughs> um, and and also Senna reports back and uh, says that they don't really, the code of the ship is basically telling them everything's perfect. Like, there's right. nothing wrong with it. Uh, add on to this that Yorick discovers that the disease is likely some sort of adapted form of Yoktan, which is essentially volus chicken pox like that's kind of the rough mm. like approximation of it that we're given right. um it is extremely like chicken pox extremely contagious um but how it is infecting drell and hanar is not really uh obvious just yet um on top of all this senna decides to bring Ketsiolam who is the captain of... So we also get a look at kind of the hierarchy of each race. There's like a captain alongside each Pathfinder that is kind of the leader of of their individual species. Yeah, Um, so like for context, uh, Kessie would be the equivalent of Captain Dunn for the human arc. Yes, yeah. Um, So they decide to bring Kessie out of sleep uh, in order to help. Um, Irit, our, our Volus... Uh, suit maker is going to make an environmental suit for Anax so she can continue to investigate uh, and as they're planning all this a Batarian shows up and basically uh, yaks his entire lunch and dinner and innards all over everything <laughs> um Jalosk Dalvira, who is a member of the previous Sleepwalker team, uh, Yellow Nine, there it is. Thank you, Wiki. Um, 
has has been woken up and is clearly infected by whatever is going around. So now they know not only are Drell and Han are affected, but now we have at least one Batarian affected as well. Oh boy, uh, by this super Yoktan, and Anax, who also at this point reveals that she has biotics, <laughs> um, mm. biotically throws Anax or biotically throws uh, Jalosk into this isolation chamber so that way Yorick can uh, observe him and get you know real-time data about it and all that um, and then Kessiolam shows up and they kind of try to set up a new set of marching orders for everybody um, I, I'm reading back through because we're there, there's so much going on disparate plot points going on that I'm having trouble remembering how it all uh, runs out, but basically they they get the suit made for Anax, but there is there is a mild problem with the suit. Again, interesting world building. Drell secrete uh, a I forgot what the term is like subcutaneous oil, basically an oil that if they continue to secrete and ingest it, it will have hallucinogenic effects. Which on... is something they also brought up in Mass Effect Two that like yes. when, if you are with like in a relationship with Thane and you go talk to Morden, he's like, oh by the way, when you guys do the nasty, you might get a little bit stoned, you might have, like have seen, seen some other stuff, you might see more than one Thane, so uh, yeah. don't threaten me with a good time. Uh, hey. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, Anax like doesn't mention that either because well to ear it, but does not mention it to anybody else. Uh, for the time being, because Anax is very much like, why would I tell someone else that I have a weakness? But um, Anax is like, okay, I've got basically a countdown now until I go completely uh, stoned from my own oil secretion <laughs> inside the suit. Um, and that's when we also get some information about Irit and Irit's father, who is the Volus revolutionary who wants to abolish currency and is an icon we love we love that character um <laughs> uh but while they're getting that uh set up uh borbala by the way has pointed out another issue the the outer shields of the arc uh are flickering i think it's every nine minutes and 41 seconds and uh they keep hearing debris because obviously this ship is still traveling at light speed through the universe so asteroids and stuff are going to be hitting it various debris of different kinds and it's starting to hit the ship and there is a genuine concern that it might hit something vital when the sh when the shields are down um but as anax and irit are getting the suit put on uh turns out that there are other people in the cryo hold <laughs> mm. uh and they have weapons uh colonists are gradually waking up across the ship it seems they're all making their way to the cargo hold to secure their belongings and this is turning into a bit of a turf war down here in the cargo hold um we also learn a little bit about senna so senna by the way another one of my favorite characters um Senna is a bit of an anomaly in the Corian species because Senna is actually totally down with AI. Mm -hmm. um, or at least, let's say, shackled AI. Mm. Um, 
you know, Quarians in general are not wild about any sort of artificial intelligence. Um, even VIs are kind of testing the waters in some cases. Uh, and as we mentioned before, the Quarian Pathfinder did not want to integrate with Sam like the rest of them did. Uh, for uh, for Senna, uh, he one of the things he brought on the voyage to Andromeda is something called an Ancestor VI, which is an old, old Quarian, like pre-Geth Quarian tradition of uh, preserving your ancestors in a vi so that way you can ask them for advice later it's actually a very touching scene Mm -hmm. uh when you know you learn about how he had this vi and he's you know his family has kept it a secret for so long and it's his grandmother who fought and died in the wars against the geth and i think his his grandmother actually was like a very skilled geth programmer if i recall correctly like extremely skilled at working on the geth um but you learn a lot about Seta in this little side side bit where he is talking to his grandmother Liat about uh, just all the ways that he can try and fix what's going on with the ship and what's going wrong. And you also learn about his past. Um, Ketsi is a kind of former, they're like former lovers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had previously been a part of a Korean splinter group that believed that the Koreans should stop trying to retake Rannoch mm-hmm. and basically find a new homeworld. Um, and they were obviously ostracized for that, mm-hmm. but they all um, they all have like a tattoo. It's like that, that was one of the scenes that also stuck with me was he's talking about this uh, thing they did in the past where they all kind of isolated themselves long enough to like share the same air in like a broom closet essentially so they could tattoo each other and have that like marker that they want to forget the home world essentially mm-hmm. and so that's that's what brought Ketsi and then Senna onto this ship is the idea that they could find a new home world in Andromeda so very very good like distilling of why a Quarian will want to leave like I really appreciate mm-hmm. that yeah like so much about Senna is just this fascinating fascinating character that kind of goes against I mean, we, we kind of talked a little bit about this in Mass Effect 3 and the idea of, like, why are they re- trying to retake Rannoch when there's, like, Reapers invading and mm. stuff like that. And um, even the tensions in Mass Effect 2 kind of point towards um, Corian's, you know, fighting tradition and the desire to see their homeworld versus um, finding a new one, almost kind of accepting what has happened to them and moving on without you know the loss of more life on on their side um and it's uh it's very good we haven't even talked about the hanar splinter group that's here which is just like a super doomsday cult of the Mm. enkindlers will wipe us all off the face of the planet (laughs) um it's it's very good um and they, they thought they were like religious martyrs that needed to go somewhere beyond the Milky Way to be able to actually like practice and you know. Yeah. And again, Hanar in general believe that the Protheans are the Enkindlers and are the ones that like gave life to everything in the Milky Way. And so for them it's almost like they are dodging the doomsday that they believe is coming to the Milky Way by going to Andromeda because they believe that the Enkindlers will one day like burn down the Milky Way 
well, it's you were half right. Yeah, I mean they 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 were actually closer than most people were. So <laughs> good on them. Um, there. So as he's working, he's talking to Liot, um, and 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 Liot is basically like has a hypothesis, but does not share anything yet. But is basically like, tell me, like comms are going to go down next, and then tell me what goes down after that, and that will like confirm my hypothesis. Um, there are people waking up. Ketsy is is freaking out a little bit. Um, lots of people are waking up and going into the cargo hold. Uh, they try to take a tram, but it uh, stops working between the Corian zone and the radial that we mentioned before. So Seta basically splices Ketsy into the public address system which is still somehow working as more systems are obviously breaking down we've had people be like hey i think the temperature's fucked up and like senna tries to get a drink of water and the water dispersal system isn't working anymore and stuff so it's it's getting worse Mm (laughs) and um uh ketsy splices into the public address system and tries to like loop a message that is basically like everyone please remain calm Please chill. And then Ketsy runs off to go to the med bay to see how Yorick and Isis are doing. Meanwhile, Senna is going to the cargo bay uh, and then uploads Liet to try and work on stuff uh, while he's doing that. <sighs> then we get into a really heavy part of this story. Uh, we basically watch Jalosk the the Batarian who had woken up with the the Yoktan infection die over the course mm. of 18 or so hours um like and and this is again we talk a lot about how I I think Batarians in general in Mass Effect even when Mass Effect kind of went out of its way to be like yeah Batarians kind of get the shit end of everything in in mm. these stories like especially in Mass Effect 3 when it's like hey guess what like Batarians have essentially been completely wiped out by the Reapers at this point um, because they lived on the outer fringes and nobody was really going to help them or assist them in any way right. um, and then we also blew up the Bath Relay in Arrival so. yeah yeah, <laughs> we've a lot of atrocities committed against the Batarians in Mass Effect um, the uh I, I don't think it's ever like, the thing I always had with that was it was like oh yeah that really sucks for Batarian people but I'm Commander Shepard off to save the galaxy and I, I was always kind of like we're never really pausing to like think about what that means for these people and right. because there, there are other things that that game needs to then move on and address but here in this book we get like some time and this mm-hmm. little bit of Jalosk kind of going back over his life and uh, just the various like idiosyncrasies of living in the Batarian um, community, the way they have castes, the way they believe so much in hierarchies and, and like rigid uh, class systems and stuff like that, along with the dialogue that we have between Borbala and Anax throughout the novel, um, man, like really mm-hmm. develops these characters right. in ways that the games just never got around to. Yeah. And like, not even. Because, like, they, they are generally, like, an antagonistic force in that game. Like, we never got a Batarian squad mate. We never got, mm-hmm. like, a person that... A Batarian was never on the Normandy in that entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a shame. Like, I... 
feel like both the Batarians and the Borsha were these alien races that became, like, the, the grunts that you could put in front of a player to shoot throughout any given level. But even at, like, you know, like, like you said, like, even after arrival, like, when they are, of like, a vast majority of their population is a victim of a war crime, that side of it doesn't even really get addressed except in, like, one uh, side quest in Mass Effect 3. And it's just, mm-hmm. like, it's a fucking shame. Yeah, yeah. And, like... This this whole section here, where like Jalosk is literally like slowly dying, and and it just like he deteriorates and it gets worse and worse and worse. And um, there's actually, by the way, I need to mention that York has dubbed the the new disease that is evolving and changing, um, uh, the Fotenbra plague. Yeah, another reference to Hamlet love it love everything about that <laughs> um but there's like a really touching moment between jalosk and Ketsy, like uh where they're basically like you know i'm sorry i never got to see what you could have been in this new galaxy like i'll see you at the end um and and he replies in kind and it's this like very touching moment and mm-hmm. and i i like had to like sit there and be like this is a Corian and a Batarian, like two, two species that we never see interact in right. Mass Effect. Like again, a series that is primarily about this stuff, and we'll we'll kind of dive deeper into what I think is the heart of this stuff uh, with a later revelation. But like, you think about the Council races and how mm. prominent they are in Mass Effect versus. The idea that we've never seen a Corian and a Batarian interact in this way, or an Elcor and a Hanar. Like, mm. like Eces is just sitting there in this sleep for this entire time. Like, basically just taking a nap while this dude is dying and Yorick is trying to diagnose and understand what is happening to his body. And Eces is just like, I'm going to take a nap over here. <laughs> and, um, like, we've never seen this level of interaction. There's something really touching about that, that, like, these two species that you did not think could be more disparate in your mind are finding this connection and it's making you realize like just how interconnected this can all be Mm. there's so much storytelling opportunity oh my god (sighs) um meanwhile anax and uh are uh still stuck down in the cargo hold trying to not get shot (laughs) um but borbala uh manages to get in they like took out the doors basically to keep people from in the cargo hold with weapons and stuff from getting out into the larger populace that has been waking up borbala manages to sneak in anyways because borbala is awesome uh and uh is basically checking on her quote-unquote nest egg which is all of her various fish that she was going to import into the andromeda galaxy uh which are all now dead <laughs> and um they they managed to get out though Irit has been pinned down uh is kind of stuck with a breach uh in her suit and is kind of stuck where she is uh so they have to leave her behind and they take off don't worry don't worry Irit's gonna be okay um ecs wakes up and Yorick is basically like at wit's end at this point because I think by this point the the Sleepwalker Blue team 
has been awake for 48 hours straight trying Mm. to fix whatever has been going on. And this is where Isis decides it's a great time to just lose my shit. You know, after, as we have all done, when we wake up from a nap and are like, let's go buck wild. (laughs) (laughs) Isis is like, by the way, I'm a... I'm a doomsday cultist, uh, and I will just run out of quarantine and start running around the ship with all my infection in me and stuff. So now we've got a rogue Hanar that is spreading the the infection outside of the quarantine. So, uh, yikes. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Anax goes back to what she was originally going to do before she even got the environmental suit, which was interrogate Malak Rafa, who is uh, part of the Sleepwalker Yellow 9 team and uh, figure some stuff out because Anax has basically like sussed out that of the people in that Sleepwalker team, Malak is the most likely to have done something wrong because Jalosk, as well as Soval, who is the Drell member of that team, and Kolai, who is the Hanar member of that team, have all died of the plague she's going okay there's there's something up with this team and i'm going to start with malak um anax and borbala start to interrogate uh malakrafa um but <laughs> uh yeah there's there's a specific regardless and this is coming from the wiki regardless malak claims nothing unusual happened during yellow nine's last shift and that his team followed protocol a lie anox does not call out at the moment um more on that in a moment but uh they get interrupted by a mother screaming um the the mother of the child that would have taken the suit that they turned into Horatio. I know that's like a long <laughs> connection thread, but basically the family that the, the blue team had been ransacking the crate for supplies. Um, the, the child of that family, despite wearing a completely sealed Corian suit has died of the plague. Um, the phone bra plague. Um, Iritz got out of the cargo bay and brought the corpse up in the aftermath uh, to basically prove that, hey, even Quarians at this point are getting sick um, and that the disease may have gotten in because they're basically just points of non-maintenance and and fractures. And basically they're saying that like nobody's safe at this point. <laughs> even if you've got an environmental suit on, you are not safe. Um, also, Irid examines the captain's suit, um, Ketsiolam's suit, and finds numerous micro tears, things uh, which Ketsi's suit had not registered. So that's another little bit here. Another little bit. <laughs> um, Senna, meanwhile, has recruited Anax and Borbala to basically find every VI they can that has never been connected to the ship, which includes the Krogan microscope, by the way. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> to boost uh, his grandmother VI uh, processing power, processing power, to turn it into, like, basically a super AI. Um, they once again talk about bringing the Pathfinders back, but uh, Senna insists, like, no, uh, we have to keep 
we have to make sure that they're fine. Um, he's he's already taken precautions to make sure that if anything goes wrong, the Pathfinders will make it through. Um, <laughs> they go back again to the cargo hold to get some more VI stuff as well as try and get some red sand for Izo because they believe that they have found a way to make a cure um, basically by finding someone who is immune to the plague and uh, creating an immune patient using element zero who would then have to like come into contact with everyone and spread the new plague that would destroy the old plague and be completely dormant am i doing all right here ken <laughs> this is the part of the book where everything went to shit yeah everything's supposed to happen all at once so. yeah, yeah yeah um ramps up very quickly yeah yeah and there's a lot going on everyone's kind of running around you know they've been awake for 48 hours everything's going a little bit crazy um so they 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 hook up all the vis um senna is basically like senna and his his grandma leah have a plan uh to fix what they have basically diagnosed as a worm in the systems so there is a program that is running through the systems of the ship that is kind of working with the plague to cover the tracks of the plague so basically every time they have checked a system to see if something is working that has then opened the system up to vulnerabilities and so you know when they're like hey are the cryopods working the worm is like oh i should make sure that this system says yes so that way the plague doesn't get discovered and so it gets in it infiltrates is like yes everything's working uh and that has been what has been gradually affecting every system on the ship is ironically by checking to see if it is working that makes it stop working (laughs) uh that was kind of my understanding of it at least um also implies that this is kind of a two-step process that somebody had to design a computer virus that would work hand in hand with the biological virus uh also (laughs) uh, another one of my favorite scenes in the book um borbala and anax go down to get the red sand that borbala was going to smuggle into uh andromeda and find isis absolutely just (laughs) face down in red sand which for those of you who have not uh been following this stuff beforehand red sand is like a super drug of mass effect um yeah it's which is is like, it this, this is the stuff that made the volus the biotic god right yeah it, it gives people like not like full-blown like samara level biotic abilities but like small biotic abilities like you know the biotic god like it will shoot like a very small biotic blast at that asari on ilium good shit <laughs> so we have a really really high hanar <laughs> um which is actually kind of a, a scary scene because the hanar is basically like flinging its tentacles about trying to touch everyone and infect them all with the plague because again it believes in a doomsday and that is they're the harbinger of this doomsday um so they they take care of ec's i forget if they actually like kill they restrain it they restrain it um they restrain ec's um meanwhile back in senna's quarters ketsy has discovered uh what the plan is which is that uh senna is going to plug 
the grandmother VI into the systems and let it kind of follow the tracks and take over, which will basically integrate Liat with the systems of the ship, mm. letting it take over the ship, and then Liat will gradually be like sublimated into the ship over time. And obviously Ketsi, uh, who lost family to the Geth yeah. and has seen the atrocities of the Geth, um, is is like, no, don't do that. And as they're like about to um she's like about to break it, he yells out, Go fish, which is like the co word and uh Liat goes into the systems and uh everything is working. And that's when um they test the comms and York informs Ketsi that actually Ketsi Olam is immune to the plague. Uh, right. She is the one that is immune to what is going on. How convenient. How convenient. <laughs> so after that giant shit fest, everything kind of condenses back down to the med bay. We've got uh, Ketsi's blood, the Izo we need, and uh, the engineering stuff we require to make a retrovirus that can take out the plague. Yorick at this point is already pretty far gone um Mm. (laughs) at this point everyone is kind of suspecting the hanar because the hanar you know like the day of extinguishment cult uh they're like okay yeah like coli and ecs and all those other doomsday cultists obviously they're the ones who created uh this super plague to kill everyone because they're just crazy hanar and all that um the ketsi even suggests waking up the quorum which is like another set of representatives for every species to hold tribunals to basically be like hey this is um like like there have been crimes committed and we need to condemn people um so while they're working on the cure and Ketsi says that, okay, let's wake up the, the quorum and, and get ready for a tribunal. Um, Ketsi's like, I'm going to go see to the arrangements then and takes off. And, and Axe is like, hey, Senna, let's follow Ketsi. Like, I got a hunch. Let's, let's just go follow Ketsi along. Um, they find out that Ketsi is not going to, to engineering to set all that stuff up. Is actually going to the mess hall to meet with... <sighs> Malak Rafa. <laughs> um, so throughout the entire novel up to this point, Anax had been constantly having flashbacks uh, to a specific night uh, before they took off on the Ark to head to Andromeda, uh, where uh, oh, I suddenly forgot her name. Soval. Soval. Um, she was focused on Soval, who was her Drell friend's who was kind of dancing and having fun that night. Um, and she realizes at that point that that was not the part of the memory she needed to be focusing on. She was kind of letting her emotions drive that part. And who she actually needed to be focusing on was who Soval was dancing with, which was Ketsi. And in that same memory, um, uh, Anox sh- saw oliver our our sole human (laughs) get shot right before they left and kind of starts to connect all the different pieces together um meanwhile back in the present time 
uh, Captain Katsi is assuring Malak that she will kill Isis to prevent it from saying anything, and that the events are only a minor setback to their greater plan. So Malak Rafa leaves, and then Senna and Anax confront Captain Katsi. As it turns out, Katsi designs uh, the Fotenbra Plague as kind of this revenge for when she was on her original pilgrimage a bunch of salarians stripped her of her suit and threw her out into the open air as like a prank um which is fucked up which is real fucked up um she spent months recovering and during that she learned a lot about biology and bioweapons and stuff like that uh and so she basically designed the plague to be silently carried by Drell, um, and she she mentions specifically targeting the extroverted mm-hmm. Drell, like Soval. So that's why Anax was not right. infected by it because Anax is very introverted. But Soval um, and other Drell uh, into carriers uh, in order to take out the council races, the human, Turian, Asari, and Salarian races uh she specifically slices in super diseases from each of those i think smallpox is one of them as well as like um they said they found traces of the cyanophage and ardok yakshi and like yorick basically at one point lists off like all the different super plagues of those Mm. species that he found in there um but obviously none of them would affect or, or should not affect drell um and so that would spread around. The Corians would rise up and take over and basically be all, all the races that were on this arc would suddenly be the, the leaders of this new galaxy instead of being uh, under the foot of those main races mm-hmm. from the previous galaxy. Um, Malak Rafa, meanwhile, who's a childhood friend of Ketsi's, uh, there's a little bit of an unrequited love thing going on there too. Um, Malak was supposed to handle the software side and make the worm that would help the virus get a foothold and, you know, work in tandem with the virus. But he ended up botching the cryo temperature threshold, uh, which allowed the virus to replicate and mutate. And uh, because they were inside Drell lungs, which are notoriously not great at handling viral mm. stuff, um the virus figured out a way to target the brain because it is a brain is a virus. It is, you know, aggressive and hostile and is trying to take out its host, um, turned into the plague. And the, the Hanar cultists were basically like patsies in all of this. Um, so she basically make cuts a deal, uh, to say like, if, if this gets found out, the Koreans will be treated terribly mm-hmm. in Andromeda. So please don't tell them, like, what happens. Uh, she'd rather, like, die herself than have that get out. Um, they explain all of this, and Senna basically is like, Hey, instead of waking up the Quorum, uh, myself, Anax, and Yorick will pass judgment. Um, Yorick makes a spray of the cure and literally slams Ketsy into the glass uh, and, and uh, you know, to, to stop her from running around. And, oh, the, the sweetest... Mm. Um, Senna quotes Hamlet's eulogy 
uh, before York dies, and it's very sweet. Um, I love this character so was, much. Was really one of those moments where, like, listening to the audiobook made, like, really gave it that extra punch, because, like, again, yeah. doing the voices of both those characters, and just... And, and I, I also, again, this is one of those, like, minor details that's hard to get to in, like, talking about this in a retrospective way, but, like, the... Uh, throughout the book, um, Yorick has been suggesting that others, as things have gotten increasingly more frantic and stuff, he suggests like, "Hey, try speaking like an Elcor, because mm-hmm. it gives your it gives your brain like time to contextualize and calm calm itself almost, and and like get to a place where you can express the thing you need to express and not be so like wound up." And when Senna quotes the line, he quotes it as the Elcor Hamlet, where he he includes the emotional intonation of the line, and I thought that was really sweet. Ah, mm. oh, it's getting me all over again. It's a little bit of punch in the in the soul Good here. Shit. Um, so Aliet, uh, the the grandmother of Vi that is now inside the ship, uh, instructs all uh, passengers to head to their respective environmental zones and await the cure. And Ketsy is given her punishment, which is she is injected with the retrovirus um, and becomes a walking cure. But in order to spread it to everyone, she has to take off her suit, her, her quarantine suit and make direct, direct contact with everyone to spread the immunity. Um, essentially, essentially killing her because obviously Corian physiology cannot handle all that stuff that's going on. She dies in the Volus area, the last of the five, uh, by the way, singing the lullaby that, uh, was installed at way at the beginning. Um, my suit and me, mm. uh, way back at the beginning by shout outs to our one human character. Oliver. <laughs> um, they get rid of all the bodies, um, through the airlock, including Malagrafa, sent out the airlock <laughs> with no signs of the disease. Um, Anax and Borbala um, kind of have a little moment together. It was, mm-hmm. it was really sweet. Um, basically says like, hey, um, you know, see you on the other side. And I was like, oh, that was sweet. Their, their relationship was really nice. I ended up liking it a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, Senna, as he's going into his cryo sleep, um, notices that his grandmother's already starting to integrate with the, the ship systems. And um, they just kind of drift off and think, okay, well, we'll see what happens. And something that's the that's end actually, of it. Well, something that's actually not mentioned here is that, um, as everyone's going to sleep... The, oh, there's, like, a beep, right? Yeah, they, they get a message. And presumably... Well... I, I say presumably it's from somebody else in the Andromeda Initiative, but I don't know if the timeline of that works out, because, like, you know... Okay, well, let's, let's, let's put a pin in, you know... The well, I mean, that's, that's the end of the book, right there, Well, because, like, so. we didn't really... Like, how, what was your feeling about the ultimate reveal? Because I, like... Mystery stories and, like, whodunits, like, I am... Like it's one of the things I'm like most critical of. If I don't, if like the twist doesn't hit me right, I'm like it can kind of ruin like the whole experience. Like you know, the point of a mystery story is like the revelations at the end are supposed to be like really satisfying. You're supposed to feel like mm-hmm. they were really you know well written. Because like I, I wouldn't say like you know this is a how predictable a mystery is is often like kind of treated as sort of a uh, 
you know, a doc against a mystery a mystery story. Right, right. Where I am more of a person that I think like that is indicative of like consistent writing and like you know like actually mm-hmm. being able to like I don't think that the sort of uh, goal of a mystery story should be to catch the person off guard. I think it, you should like it should be a very satisfying build up until you reach that point. Like it all kind of clicks together and. Like I said, that can really, like, get under my skin when it comes to, like, a lot of these stories where I feel like, you know, 11th hour twists come in just to kind of, like, have that gotcha moment. Where this, like, yeah. it all, like, this really satisfyingly came together to me for a multitude of reasons. One, like, it it felt very in line with, like, sort of, like, the ethos of the Andromeda, uh, the Andromeda, like, subset of Mass Effect, which is, like, all these people are coming here trying to, like, find a new life, like, find a new world, like, you know, leave all the drama and baggage of the Milky Way behind, but there are these, like, these outliers who just can't fucking let it go. And to have Ketsi be this character who was coming in with, like, this grand scheme of, like, how she wanted things to be different for her people, but she wanted to do it in a way that was going to be dragging along, like, the the social dynamics of that universe and, you know, really, like, you know, literally taking her pound of flesh to kind of, like, you know, get revenge, like, against people that weren't even mm-hmm. there. It's like, you know, the ideas that led to the the crimes that were happened against her and the Milky Way, um, all of it just really clicked for me. Like, I was like, man, this is, like, on, like, probably, like, a, you know, a greater scale than most of the, like, the, the, like, crimes we saw, you know, happen in Andromeda in the name of shit that happened in the Milky Way. Like, you know, th- there were things that happened to the Krogan that, you know, we talked about when we were in that game. Like, you know, the Krogans, were, they were looking for equal say, but, like, you know, the council races were still being how they were back then. Like, you know, not, like, all these fresh starts that they, everyone is, like, posturing that they want, like, they're, they're not happening. And to me, like, it, it is, like, you know, one of the more horrific sides of it. Because, like, I think in general, despite the fact that Andromeda, like, tries to push away, like, the colonial narrative that is going on there away, mm-hmm. Andromeda is a fairly hopeful game in a way that I don't think that Mass Effect, the trilogy, is. And I think, like... Comparatively speaking, the trilogy is like a like when it gets political, like it is, it can be fairly conservative in a lot of ways. If you, as Shepard, choose to be a person that kind of like ar- like an arbiter of certain areas of like the status quo of that universe, but this was like one of the points, you know, like not even just you know, Ketsi, but like you know the the Hanar that were coming in, like with this whole like doomsday mentality, like you know all the shit that they were bringing with them from the Milky Way was going to be this like catastrophic detriment to all like this the like the hopefulness of what the Andromeda mm-hmm. initiative is supposed to be so ha- like to kind of like not, not only make Ketsi the villain but like that baggage of the Milky Way be like the thing that nearly undid all of yes. this yeah. was like just a fucking perfect revelation to me and it, like it does make me when well okay like you you go with your thoughts first because like I want to like kind of circle around back to the possible ramifications of like the actual video game Mass Effect Andromeda and whatever is gonna happen next in Mass Effect. Yeah, um, just to, like you know piggyback off of that like you and I have you know individually talked about like you know we're both big fans of like detective games and deduction mm-hmm. games and especially like you know stuff like Danganronpa and, and all that kind of stuff and something I know I've said before is like, I, a mystery is not even always necessarily about having, like you said, that, that amazing twist of like, Oh my God, I never saw that coming. Like those are, those are always good. And plenty of games have those, but what makes games stand out? Like when I think about like Danganronpa two and, and stuff like that for me is it says something 
with who is the ultimate culprit like it's it's not just like oh it's this this person did it oh my god but it's like no this person had very valid reasons for doing what they wanted to do mm-hmm. and like the the ultimate mystery ends up reflecting that and even yeah. the way that you end up investigating it and learning about it like speaks to who these characters are how they change how they interact with each other and like again I, we were actually talking before the uh before we started recording this podcast about a game that we both played recently called uh noja although i believe it's supposed to be called Genosha, but that's i have heard wrong to me was whatever you say <laughs> um but we were talking about it earlier and, and we brought the idea that um that these characters all get along really well but then the second there is this amount of paranoia and suspicion uh between them suddenly it all starts to fall apart and you see that reflected here in Mm -hmm. annihilation as well like the second that somebody is trying to ruin this new galaxy they all immediately turn to their own internal prejudices and it's the characters that end up having fewer internal prejudices or at least being honest about who they are and and you know are already kind of radicals within their own belief system you know within their species and all that are the ones that end up seeing through a lot of it you know you have senna and anax and yorick and um borbala is like these characters that are just you know outliers in mm. in who they are supposed to be in and who they can become and in some ways they reflect you know the worst versions of themselves like borbala is supposedly trying to get a new start after her three sons have overthrown her crime empire Mm-hmm. but she's still smuggling red sand <laughs> into Andromeda. Uh, and she's basically like, look, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And But meanwhile, like, Irrit, um, this, this Volus suit maker, starts talking about the idea of, you know, what if we made Enviro suits for everybody? What if we didn't just make them for the Volus and the Corians? And, like, that could be new markets that we could get to, but also that's a way for this this person you know in in a society like the volus uh era talks about like traditionally deal in war they love war they love the idea of conflict because that's how volus profit and um and so the idea that they could be an artist instead or they could be a suit maker or tailor instead is like so uplifting to them to want Mm. to be something that they can be um and so something that they're kind of designed to be and so yeah that is where like ketsy comes in is like this character that at first seems like this level head this person who's going to bring everything back to normal and safe and calm but then you find out is like trying to kill every like literally commit genocide of multiple different races in the new galaxy so that way they can upend the the status quo and and like the worst part is you think about it and you're like oh man those species really are like constantly under the foot of mm-hmm. humans and like, asari and turians and salarians right like, and like even the like the structure of the andromeda initiative those three or those four species got their own art everyone else got put in this fucking catch-all mm-hmm. that yes. like that's that's not fucking like subtle about like things will likely not be that much different in Andromeda unless something changes. 
Yeah, and even in the one, like, prologue chapter we get with our human character, he's, like, making all these comments about, like, uh, Quarians always want to have their own ship mm-hmm. and all that. And, like, it it sets that tone early in a way that, like, I'm I'm so happy we had this author who was who wanted to explore these like the drell and stuff like that Mm. and the idea of like what the drell are looking for and like again that's something we didn't really touch on but like anax kind of goes into this and some of her internal monologues is like this idea of the drell have had to live under the thumb of another species and like they they're basically subservient to the Hanar that they get paired with and Mm. this idea that the Drell in this new galaxy could have a planet once again and be free potentially of Keprel syndrome and and all this stuff is like that's it's like really compelling and really interesting to see and I think the mystery like the mystery is what keeps you turning the page but then the mystery feeds back into these larger themes and I think that is a sign of this book succeeding Mm-hmm. Uh, where others could have fallen short is that this could have just been a whodunit and you call it a day but the fact that it ties in so much world building and mm-hmm. so much like character about this world is what makes it memorable and what makes mm-hmm. it good uh, versus yeah. just being like serviceable right uh, instead of just, just being more of the thing like things like yeah Dragon Age on the Seeker was like the thing that did not really add much at all like it was didn't have i didn't my understanding of that universe did not change after i finished watching that movie and here you have something that feels like it's not just what is our our obligatory tie-in piece of media for our video game and it feels like it has like a you know this larger understanding of the universe that i don't think the mass effect games can have because they are Mm -hmm. very specifically from a human perspective and Man, like, I just, I hope that, like, if, you know, Bioware is in the midst of kind of, like, sort of revitalizing this franchise with this upcoming game, with the Legendary Edition, that they, like, I, you know, I do want, you know, I guess this is where we can kind of, like, I guess, uh, shift over to some, this was all going to play into something in the Andromeda game in DLC. Mm -hmm. Because, like, we did, at the very end of that game, get that, get a distress, or no, it wasn't even a distress call, it was a a warning to stay away, uh, Mm -hmm. presumably in the midst of all of this shit happening, and, like, the, uh message like you know bounced around until it made it to the nexus and so we were left on that note of something something bad has happened to this arc and you know all these people but we were presumably going to at some point swoop in and help but yeah and i think in this case like we've almost benefited from it like i hate to say it this way but like we've almost benefited from this not being a dlc because i have to imagine the way and this is just me completely imagining and speculating but like in that case would we have ended up with a situation where instead of having a lead character like Senna or Anax that we would have just been Ryder interacting with all these different characters Mm. and figuring out the the plague and solving it and finding out that Ketsi was the one that did it and yada 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 like I feel that would have had so much like it would have had a smaller impact that way because it would have just been Ryder swooping in to save the day and solve the plague. Whereas if it was something where like, I'm more interested by the idea of what if it was a DLC where we do run into characters like Senna and Anax uh, after the fact, and we're kind of trying to retrace what happened there and, and also find new places for all these species to live and deal with the fallout because, you know, 
they did airlock <laughs> Malak mm. Rafa, but I think there is still like a fair amount to to deal with once these these species get to the Andromeda galaxy and right. and some of the lingering tensions between them. That sounds more interesting than being Ryder like like just dropping Ryder in as the protagonist here. Yeah, and that does make me wonder like what form that DLC was going to take and like because mm-hmm. I mean I think I even speculated about this like I wonder if parts of this book might have been rewritten just to like kind of close the loop and like uh, leave that story at least finished or if like this was this book as we know it was what it was going to be and maybe the story with writer and how they integrated into that was going to be a little bit different and you know what what you know well I guess we won't really know and we probably won't know for a long time until maybe next the next game is out and they can actually kind of, like, deal with the fallout in a more tangible way. But, um, that does make me interested, like, if, you know, this new game is going to be about, you know, both galaxies in some way, presumably, like, they're gonna resolve, you know, that distress call in some way by the time we get yeah. to that game. And it's so, like, will it be maybe a few years later, maybe the Quarian Arcs arrived, and, like, maybe, or, like, like imagining, like, where Annex and Senna are, like, these, uh, you know, prominent characters again, like... Like, you know, we met Kaylee Sanders and Kai Ling in Mass Effect 3. You know, like, to see these book characters become, like, actually these figureheads in the game worlds as we know them, like, and, you know, that's exciting. Like, I, I don't imagine that, like, they don't, none of them seem like combatants, so I don't think they're going to be, like, no party members or anything, but that they could be characters that we finally get to meet one day is exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, again, I, I think one of the interesting things to look at is like the idea of how external media can play into these sorts of things and, and have these characters grow from being novel characters or comic characters or side game characters into parts of the main game. You look at mm-hmm. stuff like what Borderlands did with the characters from Tales of the Borderlands mm-hmm. and how Reese became like a major part of Borderlands 3 from what I understand. I have not personally played Borderlands 3 mm-hmm. uh, because I played Tales from the Borderlands and then realized that all other Borderlands games would never right. shape up to what that was. <laughs> but um, I, I think the idea of having these characters come in and yeah, like shoot, I like we mentioned earlier, I want a Batarian squad mate. I want an Elcor mm. like hanging out on my ship. Like as much as I enjoyed, um, as much as I enjoyed our Doctor Pal in Andromeda, like the idea of having Yorick on board instead sounds well, he, so rad. So. Look, bring him back. All right, we'll, we'll let it slide this once. <laughs> bring York back. I want to hear Elcor Macbeth. I want, yeah, maybe like a posthumous uh, performance of Elcor Macbeth could be a really <laughs> touching moment. Um, but like, yeah, you could. These characters are are so interesting, and I want to I want to see that side of it explored because I almost feel like exploring this. And like we said, this is this is not a Bioware employee writing this. This is somebody from the outside, but I think that helps so much in that it's examining so much of like Bioware's preferences and who they deal with and who right. they champion as like the lead, um, you know, squad mate worthy, like save the galaxy worthy races versus the ones that have to live on the outside. And yeah. it, it feels like an interrogation of that. And I, right. I enjoy that. I think that's very yeah. good. And I think it's something that like, uh, you know, I don't know, like, how many people versus, like, how many people played the actual Mass Effect Andromeda game versus read this book. I don't know where they overlap on the numbers of that, but, like, 
I do feel like whatever the next Mass Effect game is, it does have to kind of let you examine this. Like, what's kept here right? Like, yes. uh, is yeah. Andromeda just going to be more of the status quo? Is it just going to be more of those four races that they did, like, you know, they were the, like, the central part of that uh-huh. game because, like, they were the only arcs that got there. I, I am interested to see if Andromeda can... Like, the idea behind the Andromeda Initiative that it was going to be this new start for all these people. I wonder, like, I'm ready to see that finally come to fruition, because, like, the Andromeda game is, like, the table setting, and now they need to kind of determine who's going to be at that table. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, like we've both said before, like, Andromeda deserves a little bit more time to develop what it's doing, so I hope it gets that. Really mm-hmm. hope it gets that in, in whatever is next for this. But, yeah, if anything, like, my, my takeaway from this book is just that, like, if you are a Mass Effect fan especially if you're disappointed with Andromeda in any way, you should read this. Like, this is, like, I've, I've harped on and on about how I want, like, a CSET game or a game where you can play as an alien race or whatever, and this is, like, the best thing that we have to it. Like, mm. this is, Annihilation is a great book. It's a really, really mm-hmm. good book. Highly recommend it. Um, that'll do it for our episode here, and we do have some housekeeping to take care of. I know before we have said that we are going to do the Foundation comics next, um both due to the length of the comics and also some behind the scenes uh planning we've got to do it does not look like that's going to be very doable for us uh we might our eyes might have been bigger than our stomachs on that (laughs) but um that means that uh patrons we will be taking not a one week break but a two week break so we will be skipping the next two weeks of content that being said we will hit the ground running right away with the last of us starting on march 31st um very much looking forward to that we have some amazing guests lined up we have been finalizing the schedule so far we're not gonna we'll let you wonder we're gonna let you (laughs) speculate but i will say that many of these guests that we have on the schedule are first timers will be Mm. it will be their first time a majority of them are new like we yes yeah, yeah, we like do. We do have some old faces returning too. Like, as Natalie Flores was never going to not be on the <laughs> show in some way. <laughs> so uh, that's something to look forward to. But uh, we have plenty of folks uh, who we either haven't talked to in a while on the show, or who will be first timers on here, and that's that's very exciting. Like, just looking at this list, I am very excited for the episodes to come. So that will mm-hmm. be starting. On March 31st. Also, as a reminder, we are planning on doing roundtables around the Legendary Edition. Those will not adhere to our weekly rollout because our weekly rollout of retrospectives of The Last of Us will be probably taking us through January, February, March, April, May, June, July. <laughs> I have to count. Um, but uh, we will be having roundtables after the Legendary Edition comes out. We have also been getting folks on board for that also a bunch of new faces uh new voices on the podcast we're very excited about that some plans are coming together it's going to be great don't worry about it if you want to be a part of that we are norm dfm we have a patreon patreon.com slash norm dfm where you can contribute to this if you back at any level you get access to our backer discord where we hang out and chat and self-promo and share dumb memes it's real good (laughs) if you want to be a part of that you can back at any level if you back at the five dollar level you get episodes early and if you back at the ten dollar level you get your name shouted out every week on the podcast this week those folks are 
Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, just Colin, just Zach Mickle, the Wedge of Destiny, and Mila Hyde. Thank you all so much for backing. Thank you all for being here. Please go read a book. Please take this extra time you have away from Norm DFM to listen to that audio book or read that book because it is quite good. Mass Effect Andromeda Annihilation by Catherine M. Valente. Look it up. It's totally worth it. Uh, I highly recommend it. But for all of us, from all of us, to you at home, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Norm DFM.